Hello, everyone, and welcome to Train to Endure, a dialogue around the interconnection between faith, sport, and life. I'm your co-host, Abby Kruger. And I'm the other co-host, Matt Margarone. The subject of our podcast today is sports scriptures. With the help of a few others, we have Pastor John Brown here from Pillar Church and Trigvi Johnson, who is the Dean of Chapel here at Hope College. We're gonna dive into this topic and take a look at how scriptures are sometimes taken out of context and applied to different situations. Yeah, I'm so excited for today to join in and talk more about how scriptures relate to athletics. A lot of times uh, we take the scriptures from the Bible, common scriptures that we use them as catchphrases. Uh, we write them on our lockers or we put them on our shoes. Uh, we read them before games and use them as a rallying cry uh, to pump us up or to help us through uh, tough times. But do they really mean what we think they mean? Uh, and so we're gonna dive into that a little bit more today. And I can't wait to do that with two reverend doctors. Uh, and I, I only say that not because they wanna be called that, but because I think uh, they've studied the scripture and they can take it into a context deeper than uh, than we usually do. And so I'm excited to have that conversation in a little deeper way today. So uh, let's start and dive in with Trig and John. So as we mentioned, uh, we have Trig V here. Um, Trig V was a former baseball player at Northwestern and John was a basketball player here at Hope. So not only are they incredibly wise uh, when it comes to theology and scripture, but they've got some sport background as well. So super excited to have them on today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, before we dive in, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your backgrounds with sports? We both know you're ministers of the gospel now, but tell us a little bit about how you came to love and enjoy sport and how you view it now. We're pastors now, but that's only because we couldn't figure out how to make a living as a fan, <laughs> sports fan. That's right. That's it. Tr- Trig's actually a legitimate athlete. Like for all of the Hope basketball players who like did it you know I I only played one year so but Trigg is he's legit Hall of Fame pitcher Northwestern College could have gone to the U in Seattle to pitch there so he's the real thing I'm the guy who just played all the time constant in in the winter I'd get little thin gloves so I could go shoot baskets in the driveway the summer playing baseball if it's on TV I'm watching it I'm reading about it. I read sports blogs just because they're great. But Trig, Trig's the real deal. Well, thanks, John. I don't know. I, athletics was a huge part of my life, like it is for most people growing up. Um, it was what my father cared about a lot. A game was always on. We, we Seasons were fluid, fall to winter to spring to summer, and the sports kind of melted into each season. And, you know, in the midst of that, you learn to play and you learn to compete and you fall in love with a game and you learn how to be on a team and you learn how to win and lose and set goals and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's nothing particularly Christian about that kind of activity. Um, the love of sport is pretty universal around the world for everyone. 
And yet as a young person who, who had a kind of conversion experience and then started to take my faith seriously, how do you begin to integrate mm-hmm. um, those kinds of loves, the love of God and the love of sport? Mm-hmm. And early on, I, I remember going to like uh, a coach took me to a fellowship for Christian athletes, like conference and some big time coach or professional player was the keynote speaker. I don't even remember who and sharing verses that would kind of inspire and and tell these stories. And even as a young person, I I recognized something feels a little weird about this. I was always kind of told that, oh, you, you kind of a muscular Christianity, you go out and you play the game and you play for Jesus. What was on what was felt like a disconnect for me is I knew when I crossed the lines, I wanted to win. Mm -hmm. You can give me all the Bible verses you want, but the ethic of the game was to win. And it wasn't about Jesus for me. If if that made me feel good. And that's where I had kind of an existential crisis later on in college, a little bit about whether I could continue to do sport and be a Christian. And I can tell a story later on about that reconciliation. But early on, that kind of um, encouragement to use the Bible as a kind of playbook Mm -hmm. for athletics um, was something I tried to work together, but I could never quite put that circle in that rectangle Mm -hmm. peg Mm -hmm. a little bit um, because it just something felt weird about it because I knew my what felt weird is my own internal motivation uh, really wasn't about God. Uh, at that, at least at that age. And oftentimes uh, coaches or you get the inspirational posters you put on the wall with a Mm -hmm. Philippians Mm 413. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Mm -hmm. That kind of uh, encouragement is is valid. But I I think that that's an interesting issue you guys are bringing up Mm -hmm. of how sports appropriate scriptures for personal motivation Mm -hmm. and why. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that too. And John, I'd love to hear, where was it um, that you had that, Abby, I think this was your question too, that where where did you see sports and faith interact and how did you respond to that when you were... So your section on identity, the previous podcast you did, that that was a major issue for me. Um, And so when I got cut from the basketball team here at Hope in 1990-something, it became an identity crisis. Six. 96. Yeah. Five. I remember. Six. I remember we were. It was 96. It was was an intern. It was like today. It was my first year in Holland. 14 years, 24 years ago today. Yeah. It was early November. I remember. It was the day of Nykirk. I got called into the coach's office, and the coach who I'd known for, th- I mean, he'd been a part of our f- family friend circle for like 30 years, he just started to cry. <laughs> so he, he didn't even ever say anything. He d- Really, he just started to cry. And after a, like a stunning silence and total awkwardness, I was like, hey, guys, and then one of the assistant coaches was actually like, hey, Johnny, we don't have a spot for you on the team. But And so my, I was devastated. It wasn't like someone told me, hey, we're going to give you 15 more hours a week to go do something that you would want to do because you don't have to practice and play. It was more like you just took my soul and kind of trashed it. I am a basketball player. Um, so that, that's where, where, to your question, Matt, about 
faith and sports, for me, they, they, they intersected so tightly, I actually couldn't distinguish them. So that when I lost the sport, I essentially lost faith. Or at least had to enter a process of reflection and what, what, do, what, what am I about? Who am I? What, what matters? So that was November of 96. It was kind of like a two-year journey that actually became a spiritual renewal um, because I had to disentangle or they were, I was forced to disentangle sports and faith from my life. If, so the, you know, the use of the Bible, you know, we all did it. I, it's on my shoes. I probably still have some shoes with <laughs> Philippians 4. Your eye black if you're a baseball, football player, whatever. Something, and we'll prop, we're going to ask lots of questions about that, I'm guessing. But I also want to just acknowledge there's something kind of beautiful, too, mm-hmm. about this desire to bring your faith to bear on your on everything you do, whether it's the chemistry classroom or the soccer field. So I think there's something beautiful. I also think from an athlete's perspective, yes, there's lots to wonder about and question about, but they're also saying, okay, maybe I do have some sort of, we'll call it a platform. People seem to watch us play. And this is my opportunity to give witness to my faith. So there, there's something beautiful about that, too, in my mind. And also, just to push on us all a little bit, the Apostle Paul does it, too. I mean, he borrows athletic imagery. I press on toward the goal for the prize over the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's borrowing from uh, Olympic running imagery. And the word for the Holy Spirit, another word for the Holy Spirit in the Bible is paraclete. The word means the one who runs alongside the, the, the person who would, like when a marathon runner was going, there was a pace setter. The Holy Spirit is, in other words, called the pace setter. So there's lots of things to question, but I also just want to say there's something beautiful about it, too. But for me, the journey had to involve a disentangling of what I had so wedded between faith, faith and sports. Yeah, I think... That's something probably all athlete, all athletes that also identify as Christians have dealt with at some point, the just intertangling of the two, and it can be so hard to separate them, and what does that look like, and what does that process look like, and I think it's something a lot of us go through, for sure, and I think this is where this topic around scripture really comes in, because if they're two things we so strongly identify with, mm-hmm. uh, it's so easy to just pull and slap things on, slap verses onto mm-hmm. things, um, certainly out of context. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's really kind of where that begins. And do you, would you all say, is it like a motivational technique? Like I'm gonna take Philippians 4.13 or whatever other Bible verse so that I can pump up or is, or is there a different motivation? I'm gonna claim God on my side? Mm-hmm. So we're going to win because God is on my side or like uh, the pitcher for the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw. He's a good guy. <laughs> He's actually a Christian. <laughs> I, there's gotta be a, to our listeners out there, there's a long story behind that statement. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a, d- a number of different motivations. Uh, you, you mentioned glorifying God in all that we do. I, I think that that um, can come from a, 
somewhat of a pure place, right? And so viewing sports as an act of worship, right? And all that we do, we're, we're glorifying God in, in the way that we live uh, and the way, the way we do things excellently. That comes on the, in the field, that comes in the classroom, that comes with our family, that comes with just a call to live. Um, and, and claiming God as the person and the source of that is, 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 can be pure and good. It also can be misplaced as well. Um, two could be, yeah, the God is on my side. Does God care who wins? We've talked a little bit about that in, in podcasts before. The other is this like, yeah, I got to get pumped up for the game, right? I got to get ready. I got to get myself into this. And so I'm going to claim like, I'm not going to be afraid. Joshua 1, 9, like, do not be afraid. Let's, let's run, let's run through a wall together because God gives us strength. And is that really what, what God was talking about in there? So it is not what God was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think I wanted to let's let's jump in. So how do we let's start with the Bible, okay? So what is the Bible? That's that's a question for, for us to start. We could spend a long time there. So what is the Bible in and of to start? And then how does it relate to how we live our lives as athletes or fans of sport? So let's start with that bigger question. <laughs> Just, yeah. just uh, really, yeah. a small thing like the definition <laughs> of the Bible. I would define the Bible or attempt to. I don't think there is one definition, so I want to be clear about that. But the way I engage with it is, the Bible is a record of God's revelation, God's self revealing presence and acts in the world uh, through Israel and his promises uh, to bring uh, goodness and flourishing to the entire world. And so the Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is not a moralistic code, though there are morals and though there are rules. But fundamentally, the Bible is a story about God. And it's 66 different books written over two millennia. And it is a record of failures and murderers and adulterers and, um, you know, uh, uh, idolaters and, and, and losers, all whom God engages and brings his self to bring, uh, using these people to bring witness of his love and grace into the world. Yeah, maybe, yeah, it's, to put it simply, it's God revealing God's heart. Yeah, what John said. <laughs> and it shows up in a book. We call it the Bible, which is divided into basically two big sections called the Old Testament and the New Testament. Each of them have books. There's, so there's 66 books in all, and they have verses. But to Trigg's point, it's this, it's this sort of, it's the story of God revealing God's heart, which translates in the flourishing of the whole world. Um, and if you think of it, now this gets a little bit to the second question, like how, what, is it, how, what does it have to do with our lives? If you think about the Bible as like an encyclopedia of information or a, a sort of an inspirational quote book that you might pull a couple things out and then you remove it from its narrative context, you're going to misapply it. And you will then actually be able to do pretty much anything you want with it. 
as Trigg's talking about already, all of these different sort of characters. Which character do I want to emulate? Jezebel? She's in the Bible. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar? Saul before, you know. Um, so, but if you see it in the, in the overarching narrative format, you can say, yeah, there are some bad characters in the Bible and there's some bad moments, but the overall story is God redeeming, God making new, God making right, even in the midst of some pretty sad circumstances. And if you just stopped reading at that point or you just pulled that part out as your inspirational quote, you're really going to misunderstand the, the whole trajectory. And so one of the important things when reading the Bible or to pay attention to or to ask yourself, what what's the context in which I'm reading? So Isaiah, this prophet is a very different context than, say, Paul. Um, They're they're separated by hundreds and hundreds of years in kind of different cultural settings. And so how do you get kind of down into the text? Um, And yet you don't have to be a biblical scholar to open up the Bible and simply read it. All scripture is useful for correction and for training in righteousness. All all scripture is available for us. So you don't have to be a specialist Mm -hmm. to understand and, and read. It's one of the beautiful parts about the Bible. But we do need to be aware that our culture forms us to read in a certain kind of way. And we have to be a little discerning or at least self-critical about some of the what we bring, uh, what we're looking for, so that we don't fall into an eisegesis, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of isolated interpretation. So one of the things that I think about when it comes to athletics, culture, and, and f- the Bible is our, I mean, the struggle that I uh, mentioned and John appropriately said, there's some really beautiful things about using the Bible, uh, honoring God, witnessing to God uh, at a certain point in your face saying, hey, no, I'm going to I'm going to kind of put a stake in the ground, say I'm going to take a st- I'm publicly a Christian. I'm not ashamed of this. I think that's really important. <laughs> Uh, I also think that one of the dangers we have to be aware of is our culture emphasizes the individual. Mm-hmm. And we tend to interpret the Bible individualistically. Mm-hmm. So the American credo is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's, an, it's, it's a credo for the individual. Uh, our culture is one of meritocracy. It's about trying to be the best. It's a deeply American ideal. And it also feeds into our fundamental American myth, which is the hero. Uh, it's the lone cowboy. Uh, riding off into the sunset. It's every action movie. There's a solitary hero. And oftentimes that's how we interpret our athletes. You want to win so that you can be the hero. What I get nervous sometimes when um, Philippians 4.13 shows up on the sneakers or the eye black, as beautiful as that is, my question sometimes, I just love to sit down, is... Are, are you looking to use sport as a vehicle for you to be the hero, the lone 
isolated person because at that point we're misreading the Bible. Um, the Bible is not about a hero. It's not about us. It's about a, it's about God. But I also think of there's this great quote, one of my favorite quotes from a book called Improvisation by Sam Wells, where he talks about the difference between heroes and saints. He said of the 64 times that the word saint is used in the New Testament, everyone is in the plural. Saints assume, demand, require community, a special kind of community, the community of saints. Heroes have learned to depend on themselves. Saints have learned to depend on God and on the community of faith. The church is God's new language, and it speaks not of a country fit for heroes, but of a commonwealth of saints. So the point is, is that when we read the Bible as athletes, let's not fall into the temptation or at least be self-aware that our own motivations of using the Bible might actually be encouraging us to run a vision that's counter than the Bible. The, the, the Bible's vision for us is not to be individualistic, heroic people. I think of that scripture where Jesus says that the greatest of these is, is the least of these. In our culture, the greatest can, there can only be one. It's like Highlander, right? You have the championship game. It's the Super Bowl. It's the World Series. There can only be one. Jesus says, hey, who, whoever's the, the least of these is the greatest. And we can all work at taking the least. It, it totally destroys a, a good competition, <laughs> that Jesus ethic, which is one of the in, kind of existential crises I had as a competitor. Um, but the goal of reading the Bible is not to pump ourselves up so that we can win. The goal of reading the Bible is for us to read the heart of God so that we can love. I love that. <clears throat> yeah. I love that. And I, I love just the two. I gave you, we gave you some doozies of questions there to start, right? What is the Bible and how does it relate to athletes? Number one is, you know, the Bible is God revealing God's heart. And so this kind of revelation and that, that, that can be both for the theologian and the novice that they can come in first time opening it and God can reveal himself to people through that. And so maybe you are a first time athlete who opens up the Bible or sees that scripture and it is something, and it's a piece of God's heart. That scripture is still God's heart. And maybe, and I think all of us are like this, over time, God reveals more and more of himself and we can comprehend it even deeper. So if you're simple and it's the first time and that has motivated you to understand who God is, there's something beautiful about that. But at the same time, there might be more to it. And what I've found is that the depth that comes, the more you read, reveals even more about who God is. And it's even beautiful, more beautiful. That's kind of the way God has. And that's really, really well, cool. And it's not unlike being an athlete, sure. you know, like when you start out and you're trying to learn a game, you know, I've mm -hmm. got a eight year old and 11 year old and I was doing travel baseball with my son this summer. Uh, we're not now. It's <laughs> 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 a different podcast. Um, but you know, to, to learn, to teach the basics, to teach the game. And as you progress and you move through, through, you, mm -hmm. you get better, you get better skills, your body gets stronger. It, it's similar with faith that when you start reading the Bible, 
you're learning how to use it. And if you stick with it, you're going to, you're going to grow in competency and skill and ability, but that doesn't negate when you start. You know, I like to use the image of a tree. Um, Lord, make us like trees planted by streams of water. But when you're a, a, a young tree and the storm comes, you get kind of pushed around a lot, but no one gets angry at the tree for being young. Um, but the goal isn't to stay young. The goal is to mature. Um, I think sometimes that where, again, where I, to go back to the heroic thing is that I see sometimes people uh, applauding Christian athletes who they've won the big game. They have that platform and therefore it immediately maps on that they're wise about faith. And I sometimes question that. They're, they're recog- in our culture, celebrity equals authority. And that's not true with the faith in the Bible. And I just think it's sometimes we have to be careful about kind of particularly Christian celebrity. Just because somebody's good at a game and they have, they use the Bible, talk about, doesn't actually necessarily mean that they, um, really have matured mm-hmm. in the faith. And that, that's not to say they don't have faith. It's just something for us to pay attention to, mostly for that athlete or that person, because it actually doesn't help them. Mm-hmm. And ours is a culture that wants, again, heroes. And the athlete who has been told over and over and over, you are our hero. Mm-hmm. And, and you get that very subtly. No one's actually going to say, you're my hero. Well, maybe some do, but by and large, we wouldn't actually say it. But we, we, we teach it every time you go to church on Sunday, and the first question you ask the athlete was, hey, you were great on Friday night. How did, how did you feel about the game? Mm-hmm. And hey, what are you thinking about your opponent on Tuesday night? All the questions we ask are, it's all about the game. The game. You are our hero. You are the one we're going to stay up late on Friday night watching. I'm talking at like a high school, college level. I'm not talking about LeBron James, greatest basketball player of all time. I'm talking about wow. what happened, wow. what happens to kids. <laughs> I'm talking about what happens to kids on like a really subtle level. Right. And they, it's like your tree imagery. They're, they're trees and the wind is blowing and they're getting pushed around, but we shouldn't pick on the, the tree for getting blown around. by. We shouldn't pick on the starting pitcher or the you know, the, the all-American swimmer for being in this spot. We did that. They, they didn't choose this. This is not like, hey, you're at fault because you're recognized. So I want to be a little careful yeah. for, for the athlete who's like, I didn't. You kept asking me questions. You kept talking to me about the game. You kept celebrating my accomplishments. I got to go to college to play. I got into school because I can play. I remember going to, when I was in high school, going to church and it was a, you know, it was a town a little bit like Holland where high school athletics has a vicarious relationship with the town spirit. If the, if the, if the high school basketball, football, baseball team does well, the town does well, right? People, find themselves not only rooting for the individual players, they, they root for their town, which I love. I think that that's beautiful. But I remember going to church and this was the time in my life where I was trying to take my faith seriously and I didn't know how to do that. And I would go to church and more often than not, people would ask me about 
Friday's game. <laughs> and I was supposed to be at church. This is, we're supposed to talk about God who creates everything. This is like bigger than the government, bigger than the United States of America, bigger than a game. And my soul, like no one asked my, about my soul. <laughs> And I remember that was kind of what yeah. helped create this kind of disconnect at times. Like, did you want to know me yeah. or did you just want to talk about a game? Right. Because I'm at church yeah. and I was in a culture where people didn't go to church. Yeah. So it was, um, it was a, it was a time in my life where I, I needed my adults not to map that verse onto me. I needed the adults to be mature witnesses that brought me into a deeper world that could help me internalize that verse so that I could become a bigger, more mature tree. Mm -hmm. And that, and I don't, I'm not picking on anyone. It was genuinely interested, but I, I've thought about that with my own kids and with Hope College athletes that I want to talk to them about them, mm -hmm. not they're significant because you did well in a game or you got cut or yeah. that your identity isn't defined by that. And yet I want to celebrate somebody being really good at a game yeah. and like that, that's their art. That's their craft. Beautiful. It's beautiful. And I love sport for that. Yeah. It's interesting. You were talking about heroes and saints earlier and the difference of what we both culture and what we individually kind of idealize or try and move in a trajectory towards Abby. I wonder what you think about that idea of how we place heroes as like our athletic kind of goal. How do you feel about that? And does that tie into our faith in any way? Yeah, I think just what you were saying, John, about, um, yeah, like how our culture has so normalized that it's so individualistic. It's so hero centric and all of these things. And when we look at the Bible, it's about Christ and it's about his love story for us in that. Um, and I think it is really important to mention that um, it's not always the athlete going after the praise. A lot of times it is, but it's the culture that's so shaped that and so mm -hmm. continually pushed that on us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I also, just like that one of you mentioned how our faith, it is a journey and it's one that we continually mature in, but at any point in that, um, scripture is for all of us. You don't have to have your degree. You can be at any point in your faith and scripture is for you. It's God's story for you. It's his word for you. Um, but there is, you know, with maturity comes a deeper understanding, a deeper ability to read the word. And yeah, so I guess um, what's kind of the danger of misinterpreting or misreading scripture and why is it so important to think about that and yeah, to apply that to reading the word at any level of faith or. I think the danger. So if we're going to, if we're willing to say the Bible is God revealing God's heart, that's what the Bible is. So if you're going to take a part of it and sort of, we'll just say, misapply it, maybe you're communicating something about God's heart that isn't true. And that's dangerous because we see a Bible verse and we think, well, that's true. It's got to be true. This pitcher, this athlete can do all things through Christ who strength, but he just like threw an incomplete pass or an interception and lost the game. Mm 
huh, what do we do with God then? You know, so that, that gets a little, little dangerous. I wonder if, if, if it would be possible for us to keep the big picture in mind. What is God's heart? God's heart is for the flourishing of the whole world. So as an athlete wanting to bring to bear their faith and the Bible on what they're doing, I wonder if rather than thinking about, as Trigg's saying, the goal here, the ethic, I think is what you said, is to win. And like, yeah, <laughs> like let's win. Uh, uh, but how do we bring the Bible and faith to bear on this? Maybe, maybe we should think, okay, how is my presence in this game going to bring the flourishing of the whole world mm-hmm. in, in this little moment rather than winning or losing? Like, I want to win. Like, there's that great scene from uh, Chariots of Fire. The sister wants him to be, the guy to become, the runner to become a missionary. And he's like, no. She's like, what? It's God's call. God wants people to be missionaries. He's like, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. <laughs> and to win is to honor him. Like, that's a different, I want to win so that we win and you honor me. Mm-hmm. It's offering the best of myself to honor him. I, I, I agree. I think one of the dangers is the similar danger we have with politics in the Bible or um, is it can buy into a kind of exceptionalism, right? That if we use the Bible, uh, so it goes to the heart of what's your heart of motivation. I'm going to use the Bible. I'm going to use God to help me be exceptional. And we do that with the United States of America all the time. It's election season. I don't want to get into that. Um, But the opportunity for the heart to be deceived to ourselves is really important. There was a moment for me when I was in college, I was taking a class, Christians in the Political Order, and I was reading a kind of classic text on um, Jesus and pacifism. And I was struggling with reconciling this ethic about the goal of is to win. Right. And when I was reading Jesus and how it applied to politics, it just seemed to kind of invert everything upside down. And I was having a hard time because the, the leap was right to my kind of athletic vision is that could I, with integrity as a Christian, step across the lines, knowing that my whole purpose here is actually to win. And I can use the Bible verse and I have the background to get props in the community that I lived in as a, as a good Christian witness. But I knew in my heart, in my heart, that's not why I was playing. I love to play. I just love to play and I love to win. And it didn't seem like Jesus cared much about that part of me. I think he cared that I love to play. I don't think he cared one much about my winning. And the, the moment, it was a conversion moment for me where I sat, uh, I was going to a fall baseball practice during fall ball and it was in Iowa and it was this kind of evening the sun's going down. It was this classic fall day. The air is crisp, like biting into a, a, a fresh honey crisp apple. And I'm putting my cleats on in the dugout and I'm, I'm struggling whether, whether I should quit this game I love because I don't know if I can actually reconcile in my heart my love for the game and winning with Jesus. And as I put in my cleats on, I, I look up and I see my uh, teammates practicing some double plays. 
and it's precise, the timing, the catch. And it was the simplest word I could use. It was beautiful to me. It was just beautiful. The rhythm, the, the cadence, the pop. And I'm watching my friends play catch. And all of a sudden it struck me that I could play for other reasons than just winning. What if I played for the beauty of a moment? which would require me to bring my very best and somebody to bring their very best to the table. So I was a pitcher and it, the art of trying to put a baseball just a half an inch off the black in a particular moment, uh, to be able to control your body. And it, it, it's an art. It, it requires a kind of physical and emotional uh, and intellectual intelligence to combine all of that into a pure moment. But it only is a pure moment if the hitter is out, out bringing his best. And all of a sudden, it struck me that I didn't have to play for a win-loss sum. I could play for other reasons. I could play for beauty. And that converted me to enter into sport and to look at it a whole new way than what the script had been handed to me. And all of a sudden, the, the Bible verses became important, but not because of my motivation. That's really what I'm getting at. Yeah. Uh, what drove me. And I think that that it can be sport. It, that happens in the academy. What motivates you? Uh, that happens in politics. That happens in whatever arena God's calling you into. Uh, so it's not just sport. That winning, it, it permeates our culture. And what we have to do is the Bible offers us a new script mm -hmm. to live into. Yeah. And there's there's so much there. There's the, the power of the moment. There's relationships. Um, there's the beauty, uh, playing for the beauty. There's playing for relationships, the power of team. All of that ties in there. And just to, to shift gears and jump into a little bit of like the scriptural piece now, um, I wonder as you talk about winning and losing, uh, the idea of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Um, Old Testament is kind of pre-Jesus uh, entering in this incarnational moment and living among the people, dying, coming back to life, and then bringing, you know, people were waiting for, in some ways, a warrior king who was going to rule over, but Jesus came as a humble baby, which is kind of an interesting thing. But if you look at the Old Testament, it is full of battles. And it's full of God's people versus not God's people. Um, and which side was God on? How does that play into how we interpret the scriptures from the Old Testament? Maybe it's a Joshua before he goes into battle. Um, maybe it's uh, David and reading some of the scriptures before he leads people or he's going in to fight something. How do you tie those scriptures in with current day sports? And do those relate? I mean, again, if you're willing to say the Bible is this sort of long unfolding story of God working out his purposes in the world, in the real lives of people, and there were battles, and there are verses uh, from Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's like a battle cry. And in fact... That's how it played out. Like that happened and they won. <laughs> um, and if you want to take that section out and, and, you know, 
tattoo it on your bicep, you're taking a moment in the whole story, which does not give you the full picture of the whole story. Yeah, there were battles and people died. There were terrible things that happened in the old time. Terrible. Like, kind of don't want to read them to your kids. Terrible. And uh, preacher, I don't really want to preach those terrible. Uh, but they're, they're moments in this much larger story of God redeeming all things and the ultimate expression of God's redemptive purposes for the world is Jesus. So he, he, it's not a forget the Old Testament and now we have the New Testament. Let's just live in the New Testament. It's like God's heart is constantly trying to redeem, constantly trying to bring the flourishing of the world. And finally, he sends a son. It's the all of the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus, waiting for Jesus. Uh, it's called messianic anticipation. And finally, he comes and finally God's heart is on full display in a person. And yet when he comes, the people are excited because, oh, they might get a They're getting their Messiah. We're going to win. Savior came. Savior came, right? So it's the the Savior. So we're going to put Israel to rights. We're going to we're going to take over again. We're going to kick the Romans out. We're going to establish our supremacy once again. That's what the Messiah came to win. Some would say Judas actually was trying to incite him to rise up by selling him out. He sold him out so that he'd have to act. And when God's heart is revealed in Jesus, what happens? The cross. The ultimate symbol of losing, one you could argue. The ultimate ultimate vision of somebody who just uh, got defeated. And yet God's heart reveals that that is the means by which God saves the world. That that one particular moment in time becomes for all people at all times and in all places. God's heart, God's body uh, crushed in order to bring salvation for all. And there's a whole conversation around that. But I, to me, that's what persuades me about the beauty of the Christian faith is that this is God. This is not just a, a moral philosopher who's trying to give us uh, better principles to live by so we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be uh, a better Trig and John. This is somebody who's, who, who God's heart gives his very own life so that we can have life. And that's a very... Um, particular claim of Christianity that no other world religion has ever answered for. We don't have an answer to the problem of evil, but we do have a picture of a God who engages evil in such a way that subverts it and uses it for good. And that's one of the things where sometimes the hardest moments in our lives as an athlete uh, can be the best renewing moments of our spiritual lives. Uh, John getting cut from a basketball had to re-engage his identity. Maybe losing the big championship game, you realize this isn't everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest parts can be the way, the moment when God breaks in to give us um, the best gifts. Mm-hmm. All of us will, at one point, have to give up sports. 
I did. I mean, they, they told me to give up sports. I was talking to a college student yesterday who COVID canceled their, her soccer season. This is a different school. And she was lamenting like, wow, my, she's a senior. My, my athletic career is over. She was like the captain of the team, but even for the captain, the, the one who's achieved really at the highest level of her, her game, it's over. And all of us have, will come to that moment of, wow, what does matter? So I'm going to read a couple scriptures, and I love Abby and then John and Trig. How would you determine? So we're, we've got a big picture lens, right? But this is kind of a, how we view the Bible. And then we've dug into Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, and Jesus coming. I'm going to read three different scriptures from the Old Testament. And based on what we talked about, how can we kind of determine what God is revealing to himself through us? Okay. So... These are all Old Testament. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, the enemy, the opponent. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 40.29-31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. At first blush, Abby, John, Trig, what do you guys hear in those verses? What do we take out of them? Is there truth for me today? Like just very practically, can I take some truth out of that? Or is that just an Old Testament thing that now Jesus has come, it doesn't relate to me anymore? I want to say, yeah, it's, it's for us. I mean, to the conversation earlier, to think about it being for you is important, but in the context of for us, um, and that, that's the first thing that stands out to me. God is for the flourishing of his people, the flourishing of the world. Does that mean he's for me winning this game? If it accomplishes a different, better purpose, maybe. And the goal is to be with God. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the beginning, right? We were, we were created yeah. to be in relationship with God. That's the ending picture. Yeah. God will be with his people. He, we will see him face to face. So, they, hey, the game can be great. The battle yeah. is real. But I think what we can take is that God wants to be with us. And then one of the most important phrases through all scripture that whenever God shows up, tells people, don't be afraid. I think that's something we, we don't need to fear so much. Mm -hmm. Whatever that um, yeah. proverbial battle is, your fate, you don't need to be afraid because God is with us. That doesn't mean you're always going to win. But does it matter? God is with us. Yeah. And fear kills more people every day than death. We are so afraid of fear that we alter our lives, we change our patterns, we sever relationships because we're afraid. And I think when I read these kinds of texts, it reminds me of the fundamental truth that when God is with us, we don't need to be afraid anymore. That's good. What do you think about those verses and kind of the truths that come out of those? Yeah, I think it's absolutely for today. And 
just like you're saying, Trig, our our battles and our circumstances may be different, may look different, but in the things we're facing, in the battles and situations we're going through, um, God is with us in those, and he is for us in those. And to your point too, John, it may not be that God is with us for a certain win of a game or a specific victory. Um, maybe it is if if that win is going to uh, greater glorify him or bring something to salvation or work something um, in his bigger picture of things. But ultimately, God is with us in our current situations and our current circumstances and our current battles. That's so good. Cool. I'm going to hit on some other common uh, scriptures here. So Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then Matthew 19, uh, 26, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Um there's some there's some interesting thoughts here, and there's there's different theologies around this. I, th- I think sometimes we might think if we pu- we put a quarter into the the machine, we get what we want out of it. So we can choose a two on the vending machine, and then that comes in. And I think sometimes we view God as a transactional kind of being that says we we want this. Oh, God will give us our heart's desire. Um, I can do all things. So I want to win this game. Christ is going to, if I pray hard enough, if I work hard enough, God's going to bless that because that's what God wants, because that's what I want. Um, is that what this means? No. <laughs> I set up the question. It would be hard to argue with that. but That, was, that, that might be T-ball. <laughs> you set that ball right up on the tee. There's, you used the phrase, God will give us our heart's desires. I wonder if... God is more about giving our heart desire. So not God will form in you the desire, not just give you what your heart desires. Does that make any sense? We often look at God. I think one of the temptations to think about our life with God is a contract. If I do this, then God will give me that. If I'm a good boy, I don't do anything wrong, then I'm going to get this. I, I'm owed God that. Owes it to you. God owes it to me. It's a contract. That's that's the relationship. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, and this is why that story is so important, it's a covenant. God makes a covenant promise to Israel. And through Christ, we are grafted into that promise that even if we don't hold up our end of the bargain, God's not going to, not mm-hmm. going to abandon us so that our life with God is not based upon uh, moral perfection or mm-hmm. behavior, but on God's very promise. Mm-hmm. It's God's on a contract. That's, that's a Greek God vision, precarious God. God, the gods are angry at us if we do something wrong. Or in my case, I, I struggle with whether I'm a disappointment with God because I haven't done enough. Um, and the gospel is not about, it is God being with me despite the fact that I dropped the ball. Even though I I didn't hold up my end of the contract. Um, And when I do, it's not that I'm owed anything. 
God has already given us what we most need himself. Um, and that's the good news. Well, that's, that's really good because these next set of scriptures are some other ones we talk about and they're written from maybe Paul, um, Yeah, Paul and some others. And let me read these because I, I think this gives us a, maybe a picture of not just leaning into that grace saying, all right, so the, the gospel is about God's grace for us, not what we can do, right? Not that if we keep doing more and more and more, then God blesses those things, although that can get uh, wonky a little bit. But there is a purpose to training, Right, because the Bible talks about training, and the Bible talks about doing things. Um, and so, I want to hear about this. First Timothy four eight: For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And then Hebrews goes: No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In that same scripture in Hebrews, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's what we fix our eyes on. If you've ever heard that any place else, it's on Jesus, the perfecter and author of our faith. So in the context of that, why do we train? What are we doing here on earth as athletes, as individuals, as human beings? What are these verses referring to? When you train, you're, you're telling your body how to behave in a certain situation so that you don't have to think about it. You can respond like instinctively. That's why basketball for me, dribble the right hand down the floor, back and forth, back and forth, until every practice we did that. Not because the coach was really worried about me not being able to dribble with my right hand, but because the coaches wanted us to be able to dribble so quickly and well that when someone came at us, we could just respond without having to think about it. We train, sort of spiritually speaking, so that when the, the circumstance, the moment, the conversation, the experience happens, you don't have to think about it. You respond instinctively, so to speak. It, you, you, you train, uh, what was the f phrase, uh, sp uh, godliness into you so that when you're out in the world and you're having conversations and the moment comes, you're not like, well, hold on a second. I'm going to go get my Bible. And in the back of the Bible, there might be a word that might tell me what verse to look up to respond to your question. You don't do that. You're, you're, it's out in the wild. You're, it's live. And you're responding. You train yourself so that you don't have to overthink it in the moment. You to go back to John, something you said before, it's about desire, right? God wants to give us the right desire. So one way to think about, uh, to use an old theological term, sin, Augustine used the, uh, the image of misplaced desire. So when we talk about original sin, it's not that you it's not that you did X, Y, or Z bad. It's that what we actually sometimes want innately isn't the right thing. We desire, um, it's the incravatus ense, it's, it's desire turned in on itself, right? So the very first sin was uh, a temptation of something that God had already given them. You can be like God. Well, they, we know that they were made in the image of God. 
um, we had already been given what we most want, but the desire for more of something different put it in a different way. And so the training, as John was saying, is this intuitive way for us to shape our desires for what is most beautiful and good and true. And that's where we have to be very alert and we have to be discerning because we live in a culture that is marketing to us all the time. And marketers know this, what they're giving us is pictures, symbols that hook our desire so that we buy something. Um, and it's seductive and I am very easily seduced. And so I need a training regimen so that my desire can be for something that is truly of worth. That requires daily discipline. And in the church, we call that spiritual disciplines, your prayer, worship, reading the Bible. I would include friendship, hospitality, uh, almsgiving, giving things away, uh, being generous with our money, uh, our time, our resources. But that's not always intuitive. And so we need a training program, as John said, so that when we're out playing the game, we're improvising on the spot. A, a really great player is somebody who knows the game so well that they can react to it. Um, that is what we want to be as Christians. And it's hard because um, our desires want other things. I want other things. And that's why grace is so important and where God is not a contract. God, God has given us what we most need, and now we need to live into that identity we have in Christ in such a way that we can, we can perform the cruciform life. We have a professor friend out in Vancouver, British Columbia, who told a story in a class uh, where he was uh, making a comparison to counterfeit money and asking us, do you know how much time counterfeit money detectors spend with counterfeit money? And we're all thinking, oh, wow, hours and hours a day. And he's like, no, all day long, they spend their time looking at the real thing. So that whatever version of counterfeit they come across, they'll know it's not the real thing. It's a little bit like that. You just they handle the real money over and over, so that when you touch fake money, you you tacitly, no. intuitively know this something's not right here. <laughs> and that's the goal of what we want to live. You know, you know that's what Sean's trying to do at Pillar. What we're trying to do at Hope is to be able to offer real currency. Um, so that we're holding the real thing. So the, when you, you bump into something that's just, that doesn't feel right. It's not proof texting with a verse, mm -hmm. but it's a quality of life that we're living together. It's really cool to hear. And um, we named the, the podcast Train to Endure, kind of this idea that um, sports and faith come together in that, in that space of how we're training to endure, um, a scriptural concept. Uh, it's also emotional. It's deeply spiritual. It's in your relationships. It's in your sports. Um, we train for a race that we're running this journey that we're in. And, and gosh, I love how Paul, as you referenced earlier, gives us a picture. I mean, he, he literally talks about sport, right? Um, but sport isn't his one thing. Uh, Abby, I wonder what you think about what they just shared about training. That's just such a cool kind of idea. Yeah, I think, yeah, anything we do, faith, 
life, um, kind of when you're thrown into like the heat of the moment in the game or when you're going through a really hard season in life, it's everything you've put in on the back end. It's all the time you spent in the word or in prayer or anything like that that's preparing you for that moment. And I think it's in the challenge, like it's in the challenge of a game, it's in the hard season of life that, um, yeah, that that becomes real. And that's, I Mm -hmm. think where like real and deep and true transformation happens. But to get to that place, it's it takes everything you've trained for on the back end. And yeah, whether that's um, in the weight room or on the field mm-hmm. or or in regards to faith, it's it takes that training to, yeah, endure in those hard moments and through the challenge. Well, thank you all for joining us. We've taken both a big picture view of scripture uh, and we've answered that question. So if anyone still has a question, what is the Bible? It's it's over. We've answered it. <laughs> but uh, we've taken big picture view, but we also dove kind of into some scriptures as well. And so I think, I think the greatest thing that I've learned today, and I'd love to hear from you or what I'm thinking about is... Just that like, no matter where you're at, scripture does have something for you. And it's okay to take scripture and to to view it through the lens that you're in and understand that. But as you read it more and more, as you dig in, it will reveal a deeper truth about who God is and what he cares about, the more you're invested in it. So if you have it on... Uh, if you have it on your shirt or if you have it on it, you might not understand the whole picture of what it is, but it can grow as time goes on. The bush that burns is never consumed. Yeah, simultaneously is and has a word for you right now, right here, and wants to critique that moment at the same time. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, uh, this great. is great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.